You're listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. Welcome to Sagas and Sass Season 2. I'm Tara, along with my fellow host Jonathan and a special guest tonight, Seth. This episode will cover Crucible of Gold, Book 7 in Naomi Novik's Temeraire series. If you're watching live, join us in the chat or after the fact, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Sagas and Sass to continue the conversation. And just a reminder, the views expressed in this show are those of the hosts as individuals and do not necessarily represent the show as a whole. So it's been a while since we've uh, talked about Temeraire, but when last we left Lawrence and Temeraire, they seemed pretty content to be settling in their valley in Australia. But we were certain that wouldn't last for long. And of course, we were right. Crucible of Gold starts off with none other than Arthur Hammond showing up to reinstate Lawrence to the Aerial Corps, which, ugh. Hammond, but at least we get an amusing encounter with bunyips out of it before Hammond announces that the Corps want Lawrence and Temeraire to hie off to South America in an attempt to form an alliance with the Incans, and from there go to Brazil to protect their Portuguese allies who are under attack from the Tswana. Uh, and of course, they aren't alone, Lawrence and Temeraire, that is. In addition to Temeraire's, albeit much diminished, crew, Granby and Eskirka show up to tag along, and Lawrence also insists on bringing Domain and Kalingale, not trusting them to the care of Rankin and the other core members remaining in Australia. Oh, and Lawrence being Lawrence, he gets it in his head that Emily Rowland needs a chaperone and hires a widow named Mrs. Pemberton to round out their party. So they set sail on the Allegiance once again, but along the way, a five-day-long storm culminates in a shipboard fire that destroys the ship, killing many, including Captain Riley. Which, side note, what the fuck? He dies off page after all this time? Not that we're all that sad to see him go, but something feels off here, so we're side-eyeing this real hard. Anyway, the dragons and most of their crews survive, but there is no land in sight, and eventually they're captured by the French just as their exhaustion is about to get the better of them. They sail together for a, t- for a time, during which Iskerka befriends an Incan dragon named Mela, who is traveling with the French as an emissary. However, instead of bringing Temeraire and the others to South America with them, the French marooned them on a tiny island, which they then escaped just in time thanks to their discovering a shipwreck that includes a map of similar islands leading almost all the way to the South American coast. How convenient. When they finally make it to the Incan Empire, however, they find its people decimated by plague and also discover that here the dragons are the tribal leaders. There is a somewhat worrisome practice of them stealing others' people, which has come about because there are so few people spread throughout the empire now. But for the most part, the humans seem fine with things being the way they are. Though Eskirka does something that mistakenly abduct an old blind man named Taruka, who had been taken from his family quite some time ago, and asks them to bring him back. But first, the dragon to whom he belongs challenges Eskirka, and when she accepts, it turns out she isn't fighting that dragon, but the champion of the state, an acid spitter who has apparently won dozens of fights. Eskirka wins the fight, and off the British dragons go, taking Taruka home. Taruka's Alyu is surprised, a bit confused, but very happy to have him return to them, and part in thanks, and part, ah, and in part, because she is taking a liking to Hammond, the dragon leader's daughter, Cherky, agrees to lead them to the Empress Cuzco. Once there, they are greeted by Malia, who turns out to be a member of the Empress's... Uh, is it Ailu? 
Ailu. Yeah, I Ailu. looked it up. And is clearly <laughs> absolutely besotted with Eskerka for reasons no one, least of all Temer, can figure. However, this crush leads to her being invited to court, where she somehow manages to convince the currently single empress to consider none other than Granby as her consort, which is all hilarious in its own right. But here's where we get some of those cringeworthy Lawrence moments we haven't been missing at all, because Granby comes out to Lawrence. And unfortunately, this alternate history series is so very stuck on being as historically accurate as possible. But then... Napoleon randomly appears. The Empress basically immediately chooses him over Granby, and the British are summarily chased out of the Incan Empire. Thankfully, Cherokee shows up to help them, or they probably never would have escaped at all. And after yet another mini travelogue, thankfully a shorter one than many that have come before in this series, they reach Brazil. And although Granby has lost his arm due to an injury he acquired and then irritated throughout their travels, overall things could be worse. And in fact, while it might be the loss of his arm that finally tips the scales, apparently Iskerka trying to marry him off put Granby on edge because he finally gives her what for, telling her she has to stop doing whatever she wants, whenever she wants, and listen to him or leave him for good. Iskerka, well, freaks out a little bit over this. Could it be that she will finally be brought to heel, if only a little bit? When they finally reach Rio, they discover it was burnt by the Portuguese, not the Tswana, and that the slave owners are holding their slaves hostage to prevent the dragons from attacking to get their family members back. Lily's formation arrives, and the dragons quickly realize that even with Temerere, Iskerka, and Kalingale already entrenched near Rio, there's no way they can beat the Tswana. If they had even wanted to fight them, which they don't. Lawrence tries to convince the Portuguese to allow the Tswana to colonize alongside them because, duh, Napoleon allying with the Incans is going to screw them anyway, and eventually they come to a tenuous agreement that allows for the Tswana to choose whether they will stay in Brazil or return home to Africa. Unfortunately, there are not enough transports to carry all of them who wish to return, which leads to Lawrence organizing a little skirmish to capture the two French transports anchored off the Brazilian coast. And that's Finally, basically, the end of that. Except that we suppose it's important to note that Gong Su reveals that he's not really a cook, but is rather an agent of the Chinese prince, who seems to be strongly hinting that the Chinese want to form an alliance with Britain. With that, it's somewhat awkwardly decided that Temerere, Iskerka, Kilingale, Lily, and the rest of her formation, and even Cherky, who won't leave him inside, will make their way to China. Wow. That's a lot. of th These names are getting just so ridiculous now. <laughs> You could you could pull an old Gilligan's Island and just and the rest them. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, what, yeah that's literally that's what I did at the end. Lily and the rest of her formation, because like yeah. I don't think there's any need to list. Like I I, I don't even remember half of them. Like I remember. Um, but are uh, there even any anymore? I guess they're the small. Yeah, there's there's Dulcia and okay. Immortalis and uh, what's Berkeley's dragon's name? The big one. Dasher, Dancer, Prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It starts with an M. Ma Mag Maximus. Maximus. Maximus, thank you. Yeah. I was going to say Magnificat, but I was like, no, that's not right. Um, so, so yeah, uh, she does still have, because I, I think Lily's whole formation survived the plague thing. Um, but we haven't seen, you know, any of them since like book four. They, they kind of make a brief appearance in uh, book five when Napoleon invades England, but that's it. It's very brief too, because that's most of that book is spent with Temeraire and the breeding ground dragons. Right. Yeah. 
Which and, okay, so so Seth, it's been a while since you've read this. Um, did the summary like bring anything good back to you? <laughs> um, it it brought some stuff back. I, I I just remember feeling I am of two minds about some of the stuff in this series. Now, for whatever reason, I like a good Napoleonic War story as as well as the next man or person, but. I have to explain that. Uh, degree in Irish studies, do not care for the Brits uh, pretty much at all, but for some reason enjoy Napoleonic War stories. Um, but she goes to great lengths to sort of rehabilitate the British Empire by making it not the British Empire. She's like, well, well, they've got to stop the slave trade. Otherwise, they're going to lose to Napoleon. So we don't have to worry about that anymore. And... They didn't conquer a lot of other places because of dragons. Uh, gotta go. <laughs> so, like, I, I get that. I, I get that in one way, it's kind of good that this is happening because, you know, she is actually going a little bit, at least in detail and in depth, on what the, you know, the the British were actually doing at the time. But at the same time, she's sort of like then, well, okay, sweeping that under the rug because that's not what we want to focus on now. We want to focus on dragons and Napoleon. Uh, <clears throat> she's really obsessed with Napoleon. Yeah. Like in interviews and everything that the few things I've read about her and just kind of about this series as I was, as I've been doing like research for summaries and stuff after reading them, she is seriously obsessed with Napoleon. And yeah, like you said, it's like, it's like things that are actually more interesting and could be more important as well it, by make, like and truly making it an alternate history gets swept under the rug because she has to bring him back constantly. Yeah. Um, and I mean like this, it's like, Oh, okay. I guess. All right. For, for basically being, uh, for showing up for a marriage, that's going to bring him a big part of another continent. Okay. Yeah. I can see him doing that, but he, he does, he does show up like, <laughs> I, I want to say in the uh, in uh, Bernard Cornwell's Sharps series of books, he barely shows up at all. Uh, I, I mean, in the Waterloo book, they sort of glimpse him from afar. And I think in one of the other books, he shows up as a minor character. But he's very involved mm -hmm. with these I dragons. I mean, I I didn't read all the Horatio Hornblower books, but I don't think he shows up at all in those either. No, because that's just talking about that's just talking about uh, Horatio hanging out and being honorable, and then luckily his the wife that he married out of duty dies, and he gets to marry the woman he wants to. <laughs> I didn't get that far, <laughs> and that's Horatio Hornblower. <laughs> uh, I was also there was a story in that book where he. Um, he is transporting uh, an Irish rebel and unfortunately figures out what the guy's trying to do and stops him. And I'm like, but um, uh, the empire was not in the right on that one. Like there's a Sherlock Holmes story where he does the same thing. And I feel very conflicted. And, and it's not just that Napoleon shows up consistently in the story, you know, like even, even when they're in Australia in book like four, it's like this constant, like, but how is Napoleon involved in this sort of like, uh, you know, just constant, like kind of give back to him. Um, but literally he shows up in person so much. Yeah. And, and I, I don't necessarily have an issue with that. You know, like I like that he comes, I, I like when they see him in book three, uh, black powder war, which is so far, uh, 
so far of the books we've talked about on this show, my least favorite of the Temeraire series, but it might have been surpassed by the one I read, the one I just finished reading. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he doesn't, it, it's in this one where it really throws me off guard that Napoleon literally shows up in person because he just left Europe to travel across the Atlantic all the way to South America. And then, or well, I guess they would have traveled how did they, I don't know how they got there. They either traveled across the Atlantic and then came through Brazil or they traveled down around Cape Horn, whatever. He's been traveling for a long ass time. Yeah, no, they they crossed the Atlantic from Portugal, basically from Portugal. Yeah, yeah but he's been traveling for a long ass time and it's 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 just a lot. Like he left all of Europe behind just for this. And I, and again, yes. like they're, they're, they're well, I mean, left with this. How are so, they going to even get all these dragons back to Europe and stuff, you know? So, so well, I, I would say yes, it's, you got the gold of the Incan Empire. It would be one reason why and that gives them a lot more money to pay for arms. It gives them a lot more dragons. I mean, yes, it's it would be worth it. For for a prize of this stature, yes. But you know, have you have you gotten to but the point where you yeah, need branding uh, for the honor? I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> I, I just I I just I also love Iskirka's reasoning on this one. It's like, well, I'm the best dragon, so Granby's the best human. And if he if he if I can marry him to an empress, then I'm gonna be an even better dragon and have a but it, she's she's so she's so sort of purely selfish about things. It's <laughs> it's kind of endearing. She's not unlike a cat. But a very large uh fire breathing one, yeah. Fire breathing cat. Cat. Um I mean, and and we've we've talked about Iscarica before, and it's like as as frustrating as she can be, I also do just love her. Yeah. But at the same time, in this book, I was glad to finally get her see a little bit of her comeuppance, um, because I mean, her trying to get the Empress, the Incan Empress, to marry Granby without even like talking to him about it, like. In one respect, I'm almost proud of her because somehow she basically became, you know, a, 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 she she became the middleman in a, in a middleman in a very you know major marriage negotiation and didn't screw it up of well, her political own negotiation. Yeah, yeah, and 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 political marriage. Yeah, um, but at the same time, it's like, oh, Iskerka, like you're. I know you're only doing this because you know that Lawrence is. A prince of China, and you want him to, you want Granby to also be like royalty. And of course, there's like seeing, you know, the, the golden, the gilded walls, and they're not even gilded, they're actual gold walls and everything. She wants the riches and she wants Granby to have that title and everything, um, because Lawrence has that title, basically. And it's just, yeah. Oh man, Iskerka, it's a lot. And I'm glad that in the end, Granby finally sticks up to her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was one thing when she was essentially uh, a pirate, sort of. I mean, I guess technically a privateer because she wasn't also raiding British ships. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and, and but even then, it's like most of the time that didn't cause issues for the British or for Granby most of the time. Yeah. Uh, and what issues it did cause were kind of minor at best, but if anything, you know, she was mostly capturing friendships, I believe. So 
doing her yes. duty and also getting her prizes out of it and everything. But at the same time, like she clearly, like she was not listening to him. Like there were other things she was supposed to be doing. There were duties she was shirking so that she could, you know, go capture these ships and everything. Um, so I, I do have to hope that Granby finally putting his foot down will, you know, lead to her not causing as much trouble. Um, and I think that I, the, the way that this is how it was finally revealed that Granby is gay was just like, and it's get gross, like, yeah, so, so what? Like, he'll just, he'll, he'll marry this, this empress and he'll be the consort and they'll, you know, he'll give her some babies and he can do whatever he wants. Otherwise it's like, I don't know if that's how it works, but I like how flippant you are about <laughs> his sexuality, especially when we've got like Lawrence over here being like, <gasps> what do I say? What do I think? Oh my gosh. I know, I know guys do this, but they're not actually, you know, sinners. They're, they're just doing it because there's nothing else available. And it's like, I know that Naomi Novik wants these books to be as like historically accurate as possible, but there are some times like this one where I just want to bang my head against a wall. <laughs> like you wrote this. I don't, I actually don't remember what year this was published, but it was recently ish. Um, it's not, yeah, it's not that. I'm actually, I'm yeah. going to look it up. Cause that's like going to bother me. I, I want to say maybe late 2000s, early 2010s. Well, the, the series, uh, 2012, this one's 2012. There we go. So, um, cause the series, I was gonna say started in like 2006 or maybe a couple years before I just, I guess in 2012, I, and I put this in, in the notes cause part of me like would love to ask her, you know, listen, I know that I know that you're trying to make these as historically accurate as possible while also having dragons. But if you could go, if you could take this book and write it, now, like if you're writing it now, instead of in, you know, 2010, 2011, when you wrote it the first time, like do it all over again, would you still treat Granby being gay the same way? Because it's like, there's a lot here that didn't happen in history. And I feel like it, it, it's very odd to say like, okay, let's, I mean, and we've talked about before the, the, you know, the female, the women aviators and everything. Um, I just feel like it's it's especially the women aviators. I feel like she and she put some of that into like make it like an amusing side thing that they're constantly having to deal with this nonsense because they're women and and not supposed to be in the service or whatever. But at the same time, I feel like it would just be a lot more interesting if it was a slightly different society in which that was accepted. Uh, in a world where you can imagine a functioning Incan Empire in the nineteenth century. It seems like imagining that being gay isn't a big deal is not a more difficult step. Yeah, yeah, a functioning empire that's run by a woman, nonetheless, an yeah. empress. Well, like, yeah, but you had functioning empires run by women before too. I mean, including the British Empire, but not yet. Yes, Elizabeth. Um, that was the kingdom. Oh yeah, okay. they weren't. Okay. They weren't quite. An I'm splitting hairs. Okay, but okay. yes, no. <laughs> yeah, you are splitting hairs. Yeah, uh, um, Elizabeth. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I, I mean, well, but then again, so, I mean, so like the Elizabeth. Earth, the, the Earth had had women leaders at that point in time, mm -hmm. I mean, right? Yes, it's is it a man's world. It's still for the realistically a man's world, unfortunately. But uh, changing the whole dynamic, even with Elizabeth, didn't change the society all that much. 
right? I mean, no, <laughs> just yeah, didn't. It, or at all, or at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that again. I mean, you know, I, I, I just parts of part. I, I'm torn at times because there are. I, I like as as a history major the the fact that she tries so hard most of the time to get things historically accurate while still having it be this alternate history is fun to me. But at the same time, it's like, again, like if you were writing this 10 years later, would you write it the same way? Like, would you choose to change that? You could still, cause that's the thing. Like you could still have the, you could still make it as close to historically accurate as possible with like Napoleon and the Napoleonic Wars and the colonialism and everything, but uh, have like societal norms be different, which honestly with dragons in their midst, it should be. Well, the other thing is if you, one of the, one of the problems with this book, and it's something you kind of have to accept and just, uh, uh, because otherwise it's going to drive you nuts is <laughs> dragons, but everything's still largely the same. So, the English in this book think and act and talk as do English people from, at the very least, historical novels set in the same era, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But it's like, okay, so there's dragons. Okay, well, then why do we assume that William the Conqueror won and that history proceeded exactly as it did from that point? And there is an England in the way that we recognize England. Yeah, it, it, it's and you can apply that to any country. Well, especially since they they make it sound as if the the aerial core is not super recent, but certainly a uh, recent. And I mean, they talk about how dragons were wild and feral, like not all that long ago. So, and it's it's very vague as to whether this is just a britain thing like clearly it wasn't that way in china we know it wasn't that way in china yeah but then if it wasn't that way in china and the british just showed up there with their paltry little ships and their paltry little dragons like how in god's name did the chinese like ever give them anything you know what i mean like yeah it's, it's very there, there's a lot of um and I, I i completely understand obviously you have to suspend some disbelief here but that's what i'm saying like if you're gonna suspend some disbelief for these things then why not suspend some disbelief in regards to women, like female aviators and um, men being gay, especially in the aerial core, which is like almost entirely made up of men. And they can't, they literally like can't, this isn't like in the Navy where they can just pop off at a port and leave their dragon chilling for days to go screw some hookers. Like, well, I mean, yes, they can. I mean, that, they, they, that, that doesn't change. It doesn't take all that long. <laughs> I, I mean, since since we're talking about dragons and historicity, not to get too far into the weeds, but if I can drag uh, old George Tuars Martin into this. Hmm. Um, we usually do at some point, don't worry. Well, okay, that's great. That's great, yeah. Um, you know, um, the uh, I don't want to confuse it with the book, so I believe it is The Dance of Dragons is the Targaryen Civil War. Yeah, the yes. yeah, yeah, which is somewhat loosely based on the uh English period called the Anarchy, mm -hmm. uh, where if I recall correctly, uh, the Empress Maud or Matilda was 
engaged in a struggle against her nephew, King Stephen, I think? Correct, yes. Yeah. Okay, so that is actually a much sharper historical look at what happens when you do this and you have dragons. Now, again, the result is largely the same, but it's it's a better study of how in that case dragons don't particularly matter, whereas we're asked to believe in this universe that dragons do, except they didn't in order to get everybody to the same places that they are in our 19th century. Well, except part of, I would argue in this, at least in this universe, the Europe, North America, and Asia seem to be in the same place. Yes. Africa and South America are not at all. That is that is very true. That's very true. But then my question is, if they are, why not in the other places? And well, honestly, well, and 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 I don't. And if and if that's not the case, then it makes no logical sense that the others would have evolved the same way. Right. But, but yeah, but there we are. And I want to say, even in North America, if I'm remembering, have you gotten to the part where the North American dragon shows up? No, that's, um, no, that's the next book. Uh, what's his <laughs> name? Well, I mean, I have, but that's the next book. Yeah, no, so. no, no. Don't even mention his name. We'll talk about that. Uh, all right. <laughs> we'll talk about it a couple of weeks. Honestly, but, if you're around, you can probably join us then, too, because we're missing say, our usual fourth host. Based on, based on what I remember of his conversations, it seems like things went a very different way in North America. Than they did. Well, yeah, here, and that actually without, something that's yeah. actually something that they bring up in one of the past books. I could not tell you which one. Um, it's I don't think it's the one where I don't think it's the last one, book six, where they're in Australia. So it might be book four or five, or maybe even as far back as three. But they they discuss that they're breed that the Americans are breeding dragons and you're using them as like couriers and stuff. Like they're 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 much closer to the Chinese way of treating dragons than they are to the British way. Yeah. Um so yeah. that is something that is it's it's briefly mentioned, but it's mentioned enough that it's like, oh America, capitalism. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well that is uh, yes. And the yeah I I will not say anything about the dragon but yes he's there there he's got some fun stuff happening yeah with yeah him. yeah it's like one of the point two things i liked about book us eight but yeah well yeah. i have so much crap to say about book eight so i don't want to even touch on it right now um yes, but especially because crucible of gold has enough going on okay so first of all um speaking of like new dragons we meet a whole bunch of new dragons and Here's my question for you guys, because I'm really still confused about it. Um, Tamir keeps referring to them as having like feathers. And is it actually feathers or is Tamir just saying their scales look like feathers? I know they're very colorful and that they're, they, the, their scales or whatever move. I think they're longer maybe and move more than European no. dragons or whatever, but like, no, I interpret that they were actually feathers. Okay. Yeah. To go with the so, whole catch thing. Okay. Okay. So, so more along the lines of, uh, actual, like what velociraptors look like instead of Jurassic yes. Park velociraptors. <laughs> yes. But I, I, I thought like when in, in my mind, I pictured the, um, I mean, literally like they, look like Quetzalcoatl. So they have that big, like, feathery collar mm -hmm. around their necks, and then mm -hmm. the rest is scales. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's the, the way it's described. And, and I was thinking about that and I was like, okay, so is she just bringing in their sort of mythology? I hope so. But it's, it's because you're seeing it mostly through Temeraire's eyes and he's very like psh, psh, about it. You know, he hates it a lot, I think. Cause he's probably a little bit jealous maybe. Yeah. Um, Cause the, you know, I, I, I would guess like this, <laughs> despite his just constant, you know, ugh, feelings about Iskirka, he really does not like her being friends with the dragon Mela. And at first I was like, is it just because Mela is, you know, the envoy to the French? Um, but it go, it seems to go deeper than that. And I don't think it's necessarily jealous because he's in love with her. Well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and continue that thread and say that, you know, it's it's one of those things where he might not be in love with her, but it's like he was used to getting that attention and now he's not getting that attention anymore. Yes, I, and that's definitely true. Yeah, even though he doesn't like, he acts like he doesn't like the attention and his character is very annoying to him. Um, it's so weird because like I, I just, I always felt Escarco was more of a little sister to him than anything else. And in this book, it's because they, is it? They, well, I mean, he, he, would he, finally, be robbing the, he would be robbing the cradle. Yeah. And he finally, they finally go off to make an egg together toward the end. Right. Wait, wait, hang on. Isn't he only like five years old at this point? Yes. Uh, I'm no, joking. No. Yeah, it's okay. I was like. <laughs> no, he's old. I think he's, I think he's approaching eight, but he was only like. But drone dragons live for like hundreds of years. Yeah, and he's essentially, he, he was only infant. a yeah, he was only a couple years old when she was hatched. So yeah, yeah. Um, but for me, it's it's more like just the I always felt like it was this annoyed big brother with his annoying little sister type of relationship. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're probably right that it's more about the attention, um, and also the fact that Temer is a little jealous of Mela, who also speaks you know, a couple languages and is, you know, very colorful and, and I guess attractive in that respect. Like a, it's sort of like, um, you know, like male peacocks, like who has the bigger feathers, who has the bigger, brighter feathers. Yeah. It was a very interesting turn of events to see him be not annoyed with this character because she was annoying him, but annoyed with this character because she was paying attention to another dragon. <laughs> so on a totally separate note, the, what I would describe as the sort of weird but almost family dynamics of dragons and their humans in in the Incan Empire. Yeah, yeah, I definitely wanted to talk about that. So the the Ailus, um, which I listen, Google told me it was Ailu. I feel like it's probably more like Ayu, but uh, whatever. I'm going with Google pronunciation. So Ailu, which sounds like not. Uh, south american or incan at all but okay um so that it literally means family and uh it's it's interesting how originally it's portrayed as a slavery sort of thing but then the more you get to know the only part of it that is akin to slavery is the fact that because that area has been decimated by, you know, smallpox and, and God knows what else. Um, there are so few humans that the poorer slash lesser dragons will, if they find people, you know, if they find other dragons 
family members, human family members by themselves, they will carry them off. And then it becomes a, you know, if they get caught, then there's a discussion about things. There's maybe a challenge where they fight each other or one of them fights a champion of the state, apparently. But it, it's, it's, you know, the, the, the humans aren't forced to work. They, they are respected and loved and wanted and treated well, and they're better off as part of a dragon's family than they are on their own. Cause otherwise they'll just be constantly picked up and carried off somewhere else. So it's a very weird dynamic that well, I found very interesting. Yeah. I was going to now, please don't get upset pet owners, but say that they were more like the dragon's pets. Well, oh, you, that's not you upsetting. Don't, you don't I, really... I'm actually probably owned more by my cats and dogs than I am <laughs> than I own them. Let's be real. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of is the the abominable snowman from the Warner Brothers cartoons. And I will love you, and I will hug you, and I will name you George. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I... Yeah, they they definitely think of humans as lesser, you know, um, but not. Not that they're dumb or anything, but it's more like we're big, you know, powerful dragons. We can fly or spit acid or do God knows what else, you know, because that, that's the thing. Like, we don't really see too much of any of the special characteristics of the Incan dragons um, other than the one acid spitter that uh, Skerka fights. But, um, you know, it's yeah, it's, I mean, at this point, it seems there are there are still more humans than dragons, but I mean, not that many, especially especially when you get into all of the little dragons that like attack them as they're fleeing the Incan Empire and everything. There's like this just flock. Like you think I, to me, I thought of like almost like a giant flock of bats coming out of a cave. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Like just a shit ton of these tiny little dragons, but these tiny little dragons are still two, three times the size of humans. They're like horse size or something, as I think how they're described. So it's very, it's one of those things where it's like, I know we're not going to go back there, but I almost feel like we spent way too much time uh, on the ocean with Riley and on that, <laughs> even on that stupid little island and then, like, or on, and then on the boat with the French and then on the stupid little island. And it's like, I would have liked to have known more about the Incans, thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> they're more interesting than you and your stupid little convenient pirate shipwrecked island. It, that that was a little bit like, oh, and there's an archipelago that'll take you right to the mainland. Yeah. Speaking of island, poor Roland. <laughs> oh, which part? <laughs> well, just Lauren's interfering in her life. <laughs> like, like just forcing this, uh, you know, chaperone. And and now, to be fair, Mrs. Pemberton seems all right. Like, <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with her really at all. Uh, and we don't really see her much in this book either because she she goes with the French when they like they drop them all off the island, but right. they take Mrs. Pemberton. Um, I feel more like poor Roland because she clearly likes the main, but he's about to be captain of a heavyweight and that heavyweight is not going to, is, is most likely not going to be assigned to, uh, Exidium's, you know, uh, group. There goes my dog. Well, Maximus is. Well, yeah, but I think it's because they only need so many heavyweights per, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the word. 
Well, but isn't Wing? entourage entourage? But isn't Lily a formation? A formation. Formation. Right. Formation. Thank but you. But isn't God. Lily considered a heavyweight? Well, Lily is considered a heavyweight, but she's, it's like, because she's an she's smaller than fitter. like Maximus and Timur, but. Well, and also that begs the question, why the heck is a Skerka? Like, she's not part of Lily's formation, but like, it, it, it begs the question, like, when, it, are these dragons ever going back to Europe to have like a proper formation again? Because at the end of this book, they're all apparently going to China. And it's like. No, because they. Well, that, now I got to get my books confused. Um, no, they because are. they've learned to fight better, except with with different tactics. I don't see them ever going back to those old tactics again. Yeah. Well, and that, and then okay. Well, and in that in that respect, then why is it so? Sh- why is everybody so sure that Caligula won't be part of Lily's form or of Exidium's formation? Well, I don't you know think what I mean? it, like he doesn't. Lily doesn't need him. Lily has Maximus and Temerair. And because also they're, because they're still know. they're still thinking oh I mean st- some of the officers are still thinking old yeah. school. And and Lawrence like or well um really in the past you couldn't have more than it wasn't it wasn't so much about heavyweight in terms of that broad term where Lily is a heavyweight because she's bigger and she's biggish and spits ass and Tebber is a heavyweight because he's bigger and and has the uh the the roar Sonic breath. Yeah, sonic boom breath. Um, But, you know, in the past it was because you couldn't have these huge dragons together because they would be at each other's throats all the time over, like, who's biggest and who's, like, in charge type of thing. But Caligula is just, like, late. He's like, whatever, man. Like, (laughs) Maximus is all pissed about it. Like, I'm bigger than you. And and Temer is over here like... "Mm." I mean, he might he might be the same size, but like he's gonna get bigger, and you're done growing, Maximus. Like Temer <laughs> like is not saying it, but he's thinking it, and it's it's just really funny because Caligula is like, for whatever reason, um, possibly probably because uh, he was just raised in an entirely different environment, not in the training grounds in Britain. He just doesn't he doesn't give a shit. It's like be- he was because he was born in Australia. Yeah, he wasn't taught. No worries, mate. He wasn't taught to believe that being the biggest is, you know, all that important. All he cares about is that he gets his food. <laughs> you know, which is nice. Well, and it's very typical of a teenage boy, <laughs> having been one myself. But, I, but I was thinking more that they they're still, even though. In Prussia, they fought differently, and they saw the advantages of not having, basically, the advantages of not having a crew on you. Why you would ever go back to that, I don't know, except in certain circumstances. I mean, you you can't, if you don't have a captain, you can't be captured as easily. Well, I mean, I think it's less, in this case, it's less about a crew, and it's more about, you know, them assuming, like, Exidium already has his formation, right? So they're not going to add Caligula to Exidium's already formed formation. Um, but again, it, you know, I, I didn't, it's like, you're right, for a minute I was feel I was feeling a little bit bad for Emily because she clearly likes Domain and it's like, but she can't, like what, you know, she even understands, like, I'm going to end up with Exidium when Ma retires and I, you know, 
there's no point in starting a relationship with somebody I'm like basically never going to see. But yeah, it, 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 that's that's completely belying the point that things have already been changing in terms of how you know the dragons live and and how their formations are formed in Britain. So it's 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 going to be. Well, I don't know. Like, I want to say it would be interesting or it will be interesting to see like how that pans out. But I honestly don't know if we're going to get that because this is book seven of nine. You know, after this, there's only two left. So. Or so they claim. Well, well I mean, so far she's been exploring other avenues of uh, writing. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, to be honest, though, I, I am. I'm at that point where it's like already I feel like this book series could have been condensed. Condensed. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, All the travel, like we, I mentioned, it, or we, we always talk bitch about the travelogues in these books. And this one, like I said, in the summary was one of the shorter, less obnoxious ones. Yeah. I mean, as I'm not a huge fan of travel books, but the ones I've read that Bill Bryson did were really good, but Bill Bryson isn't writing this. So. I can do without. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, look, she wanted to do the world tour, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And, 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 and I feel like, I feel like that's actually what a lot of, of the story in um, book six and book seven and don't even talk to me about book eight, obviously is, is, you know, Naomi Novik wanted to, she wanted to do around the world in eight years with dragons, you know, I was gonna say 80 years, but that's obviously not correct. Uh, she wanted to go around the world with dragons and that's fine, but I don't know. It, it, at some point it stops feeling cohesive and starts feeling like pandering to your own desires. And that's how it started feeling in, I mean, honestly, that's how it felt when they were in, fighting in Prussia in book three, but then I, I I I got over it in book four because I really liked that we oh we have to go get this you know cure for the plague in Africa that's fine like there was a there was a real driver behind them going there and now it's like Hammond just shows up in Australia where Lawrence and Temer are chilling in their valley and he's like well now you have to go to South America which of course we knew was going to happen as soon as they sent Iskerka to South America toward the end of book. Uh, six or whatever it was but at the same time it's like okay when is this gonna yeah i this is off topic but i like to picture both temeraire and uh lawrence wearing like those australian bush hats with the corks dangling down <laughs> like temeraire's just got a big old hat with the corks dangling down um but... i just love when hammond shows up and um the dragon, what's her name? Uh, Shu Lian or some so, Lian Shu. I can't remember her name. The 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 you know massive courier dragon that's like been specially brought by the Chinese. When he shows up, and he's all like, "Oh my god, I've had to travel on Dragonback for three weeks. Woe is me. My life is so hard." And he like gets off, and he's 
trying to drink water and the bunyips show up and then Lawrence Lawrence comes marching in and tem with Temeraire and they're like, oh, you bunyips, get out of here. We're going to have to chase you away from our valley for good. It's like this almost conversation. It's not really a conversation, obviously, because the bunyips don't talk back, but it's this, you can just tell they've had this like conversation before where Lawrence was like, listen, guys, I'll let you live here, but you got to stop, you know, creating these sinkholes and like sneaking humans away from the water. Like, I don't know. It was very, I never really expected to hear about bunyips again. So it was, it was amusing to me because they were such a big part of, of their little Australian travelogue. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, yes, it's, it's Naomi Novik wanted to go around the world with dragons and it's got at this point, it's been eight, seven, no, seven books. <laughs> I'm 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 misremembering <laughs> like which one we're even talking about now. There's so many. Seven. This and, is seven. Yeah, yeah. There's been seven books, and you know, I loved I love to hear about the different societies and the different types of dragons and everything, but the the just absolute page wasting nonsense to get them from point A to point B, you know has it's it's just taken its toll on me over and over and over again and i mean you so, did you so you so you want the indiana jones cut where they just show the airplane on a map real quick and then yeah the next spot yeah which which all which is a little bit how the them you know when they escape from the incans and they travel down you know is it the amazon river that they're traveling down like that's what i assumed but it's kind of you know they it's 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 unnamed unclear whatever but um this like i said this one was a much more truncated travelogue and i feel like you know it, it seemed more like that like like you're just getting this brief picture of them having this miserable time you know traveling along the river to get to brazil and then they're there and it's like oh thank god there wasn't you know half the freaking book like cuz cuz this book was also um I think this one was fairly short compared to, yeah, this one was, it was only like 300. It, it was like thinner. Like they're all the books I have. They're all the mass market paperbacks. So they're all about the same size. And this one was a good bit thinner than the rest of them. So I am over here like, okay, so at least we're not, you know, we had to deal with them being on the ship and I guess Riley dying and, you know, being stuck on that Island for a bit. But at least like when we get to the travel log part, it's it's all very just condensed um which i thought was you know maybe maybe Novik has finally just learned to not and then book eight happened but that's for two weeks from now um the uh oh so riley dying uh didn't seth you can't say anything because you finished the series and while i have i i have not uh and i don't think jonathan has either like did he really just straight up die off page like that like like because that's that's at this point that's what we're led to believe he's gone. Well, I thought and he was going to come back as the villain at the end of the story. But. I thought he was just going to come like he would. I don't know. I don't know what I thought, but I certainly didn't think that we wouldn't hear from him at all in this book. Um, like it just, and also what? How did the ship blow up like that? Because in the book, it's you know the fire is going and that's 
all fine, well and good. They sort of have it under control. And then all of a sudden there's like a hole through the center of the ship. Like what the hell did they have in there that blew it up like that? Or was there something else that blew it up that we somehow don't know about yet? Well, fire on ships back then was a very, very bad thing. Yeah. And did they have, they had cannon aboard the ship, right? They did. Yeah. But it's just, it, it's, it's one of those, it, and, and I understand all that. I know all of this, right? I know fire on ships back then, especially it was very, very bad. And, and, you know, I know they had, you know, cannon and probably gunpowder, whatever, but everybody, all of the characters seem surprised that it happens and how it happens. And that's what really threw me for a loop. Cause it was like, if you, if they had all just said, oh shit. And then it exploded. Okay, fine. But they all just seem like, and then there's a gaping hole in the center of the ship and it's sinking. And they're all very shocked about the turn it has taken. And that's why I was like, so did something else happen? Are we so missing something? It's been something? too long. Someone screwed up in a big way. I can't remember who it was, though. Yeah. Which caused the fire. Oh, it was, um, so they were stuck in the storm for like five days. And then uh, a whole bunch of the sailors just got drunk and decided to cook themselves dinner. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like basically and started a fire and it's like, okay, so that's all well and good, whatever. But yeah, I'm still very confused about like the end result. Not even that it destroyed the ship. Okay. Like not even that the fire eventually destroyed the ship, but like, like I said, all of the characters, the dragons and humans alike, were just like, wait, and then what? Because it just, like, hole through the, the, the way I think it was described was there was just suddenly a hole through the middle of the ship. And I, I'm just still very, I, I understand how that could happen. Of course I do. But also, like, why then were they all so confused about it? Is this just bad writing? Is it unreliable narrators? Like, what is it? Well, it, it could just be that they were in shock. I guess, I guess. I, I just, I feel like there was way too much time spent on what happened and and like how confused they were about it for it to be just that. But I don't know. I suppose, I suppose maybe eventually we'll find something out or maybe we never will. And I'll just continue to be annoyed with the fact that the ship you know, just had suddenly had a hole through it and everybody was confused about how it happened, even though it had been on fire for God knows how long. Uh, and nobody important died. Well, like, Riley. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, he's important because he was, he's I mean, married, this, honestly, I feel worse about the Allegiant. Allegiant? Allegiant? He's very, wasn't he married to Lily's captain? Yeah, but she don't care about him. Like when Lawrence gives her the news, she's like upset for like a second, but it's more because she's like, God damn it. Now his like Herod and sister-in-law is going to be bugging me to take in my kid even more. Like he just like, he just started riding dragons. Maybe I can get Lily to accept him as her captain because I really don't want to have a baby again. (laughs) She had a terrible pregnancy. I do remember that. So like, girl, I feel you. Like I've never even had children don't want them because I know I would be a miserable pregnant person. (laughs) But like, yeah, she, she, she's like, I think she's less upset about Riley dying, you know, 
than she is about the fact that like now she has to deal with his family even more because now her son is like the heir which also begs the question like why was riley if he was the heir why was he like just why was he a, a navy captain or whatever and not like chilling at home like well, playing car playing whist <laughs> quist whist Game of whist. Whist, um, whist. Okay. Yeah, I, I just said it stupidly. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, I, I guess because he already was in the navy. You know, he was the the second yeah. son, and True. he went off and did other stuff. And maybe he didn't want to go back and and lay about as the rich men of the regency did. Just drink port and join the Hellfire Club and play Whist? I don't know. <laughs> I think women played Whist more than men hey, did. Honestly. I, thought hey. we were, I thought we weren't bringing uh, the Hellfire Club into this. <laughs> uh, I was I was going to say, but I, as since you already referenced Around the World in 80 Days, I, I believe at the very end, like uh, Phileas Fogg's last words are, gentlemen, anyone for a game of Whist? I, I remember my grandmother played Whist. Yeah, I've never. I have played. no idea what the rules are. I don't no, remember. No, I've never no. played whist. I just I, like saying it like that because it's a W H. <laughs> I should look at what the rules are. Oh, like cool, cool. Uh, yeah. I think it's. I think it's a trick-taking game. But I. That's as far as I know. But yeah, it's so. I. I guess like I'm. I'm. I won't believe Riley is actually dead until I have finished book nine and we never actually hear about him again. So. No spoilers, um, you know, but yeah, that's that's how I feel about Riley being dead because I, I I just especially I don't know the whole situation just still seems so fucking weird to me. And if that's really just how the ship went and how all those people went, it's like okay, I guess like it's 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 legit for the times, you know. But it just seemed very anticlimactic in a way. Like the explosion itself, boom, fine, that's not anticlimactic but then it's just and the ship is gone and we have saved all the important characters except for i guess sort of riley and yeah you know. and and again well there's a lot of stuff that happens that's convenient to the plot in this book yeah in all of these books yeah yeah i um, mean our friendly chinese spy oh gongs too and how mad Lawrence is. <laughs> you know, you keep going, going gops, gongs, uh, and I, in my mind, he, I kept calling him Hop Sing because of Bonanza. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. Not a oh. Bonanza fan, Seth? Uh, this is going to go way off the rails. I, I am not, but I listen to a podcast, well, several podcasts. There's uh, Bananas for Bonanza. And then, uh, bonus Nanza, bonus Nanas for bonus Nanza, and then bonus Nanza extravaganza. But, uh, what it is, is comedian Andy Daly plays a character that he introduced on the Comedy Bang Bang podcast, Dalton Wilcox, the poet laureate of the West. And he and a couple of his friends have this podcast where they're reviewing every single episode of Bonanza because it's the best show ever. Well, I must admit I loved it when I was a kid, and I still have loved it as an adult when I've seen it, so I think it's pretty good. I'm actually watching Yellowstone now, which is a cross between Bonanza and The Sopranos, and I'm loving it. 
That's interesting. What's Wait, it? Oh, uh, he, it, it, it uh, I would describe it a cross between Bonanza and The Sopranos in a modern setting. Oh, okay. All right. I thought it was going to be. And Kevin more. Costner is the patriarch. An old timey Western. Well, that's interesting. I'll have to look that up because I do like Westerns. It is on. Well, um, if, they're, you, if they're any good. It is Westerns? on the Peacock Network. Ah, I see. Okay. All right. Well, well, I, I mean, yeah. I'm sure you can find it elsewhere, but yeah, somehow, I'm sure I but. can't. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So, yeah. So, Gong Su turns out to be basically a spy. Now, here's my question Was he, because as far as I could tell, he couldn't speak English. Like, they, for the longest time, and then all, like, so, so was he. That was an act. Oh, okay. that was, yeah. That, that, was. So, that, that's what I figured. I was like, so all this time it was an act. That he couldn't speak English. And yes. wow. Oh, Gong Su. I mean, to be honest, <laughs> I've always loved Gong Su. He's like, he's just like over here. Like, honestly, and you know, now that he's important and they have to like you find we find out, I don't know if it's, it might be at the end of this book, it might be the beginning of the next one. Sorry, but you find out that they have to kind of like it's a request, or it's not even a request, it's like, I would love this. You know, Tamara, I would love this, you know, thing cooked this way. And Gongsu is like, oh, I would love to oblige you. Like, it, it's never like, Gongsu, go cook me this. But I do just like how Lawrence is so, like, affronted by the fact that all this time Gongsu has been a spy. And it's like, honestly, man, like, I'm just kind of shocked he lasted this long because they lost all the other Chinese people they brought pretty quickly. And but that's why, right? I mean, he, he, one well, of them, the, I mean, the one of them went, didn't one of them want to go home and the other one, I think one of them ran off and another one died. I believe right, maybe but, in Turkey, but yeah, but the one who ran off would like go home. And yeah. This one lasted. And why would you last through all this? Cause he loves Temer because Temer is a celestial. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, it, I certainly didn't see it coming. So I'll give, I'll give them that. <laughs> I did not see it coming that Gong Su has been a spy all this time. Okay, let's not call him a coming. spy. He was the representative to the emperor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but who is also very clearly like reporting back to <laughs> to China, you know. So, uh, but I, I, I would guess I, what, what, what could he have possibly said? You know, that was like, like I think that the the reverence he they all have for the Celestials, I think, would have anything he anything he wrote, and 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 also Lawrence, like as much as he annoys the shit out of me more often than not for just being himself, um, you know, he didn't do anything. I think that could be reported back and and be deemed, you know, bad or like like not you know becoming yeah. of, of a you know good person of a leader whatever so. well i mean and, and certainly one of the one of the big points throughout all these books is like the minute lawrence actually starts interacting with temeraire and taking care of him rather than seeing him as an impediment to his career he's like completely you know he loves his dragon yeah no he absolutely yeah there, yeah, there's so much just he it was like it was like a relationship he didn't expect. It's like it's like that those those um posts you see on Facebook where it's like my dad didn't want a cat. 
Yeah. And I brought home this cat or my dad found this cat at a, you know, behind a dumpster at work. And like, there's just pictures of the dad with the cat, like sleep, like as a kitten. And then like, as it gets older, like always like sleeping in the same spot on his chest and stuff. And it's like, that's how I feel it is with Lawrence only, you know, he also like goes to war and stuff, but yeah. really he does whatever Temeraire wants, you know, even when, and now granted, he always knows deep down it's the best on most honorable thing to do, but you know, that's that that might not have been the choice he would have made before he had that relationship with Tumrare, which is it's in 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 very small ways, not in leaps and bounds, but in very small ways, Lawrence does grow very much because of his relationship with Tumrare. Yeah. I mean, and that's I, I think that's one of I think that's one of the the uh, reasons that it's um, it's easier to like Lawrence after a while mm. because he likes Temeraire so much, and because I, I I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we all like Temeraire so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, like, if you asked me my favorite fictional dragons, it would be Toothless, followed very closely by Temeraire. That's an interesting question. Favorite fictional dragons. Yeah. Oh boy, I gotta think about that. I think it's the Sean Connery one from I, I can't even remember the name. Of the film. What? Dragonheart. Dragonheart, mm. thank you. Yeah, that, that would be my favorite, I think. Gosh. Wow. Yeah, it's okay. not an, and it's, Puff, of course, but Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's <laughs> up there. Uh I mean Smaug, no. No. <laughs> no. Uh no, Smaug's out of the running, so is Glaurung, so that's the two Tolkien dragons who have any lines. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean... There's a lot, and the thing yeah, is, there's, there's a, a lot, lot of, them. of good dragons in this series, right? Like, Temeraire is the one that we get the most of, and it's, yeah. it's, I think it's almost impossible not to love Temeraire. Iskerka is maddening, but also fucking great. Um... Kilingale is just cool, laid back as shit. Priscidia, the dragon from book uh, five that, that Tamar meets in the breeding grounds, um, who oh, right. doesn't want to fight, but ends up like, she's basically like a mathematician. She's you know? Sam Tarly. She's Sam Tarly. She like, likes her books. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, there, there's a lot of really great dragons in this series. And that's one thing I will say that's that's really kept me going in this series is I could care less about most of the people like I most of the people I are just maddening and the ones <laughs> that I like are very minor characters the best Berkeley Jane Roland even Emily Roland you know um Domain I like but he's also maddening uh etc etc and and then you know it, but Naomi Novik is very very good at creating these in super different dragons who they all have their own personalities and it's like I don't I think the only dragons I don't like are Lien because but also like why don't I like Lien because she's mean to Tamara I don't even know if that's fair to her poor girl and Caesar because Caesar's if you don't remember that Caesar is the one He's uh, Arkady and oh my gosh, I he's can't. A new dragon from what that? Yeah, he, he's he's the he's it's the egg that hatches from the two ferals, Arkady and I can't whinge whinge and he hatches in Australia and he becomes Rankin's dragon. Rankin's dragon, that's right. Rankin, Rankin is the one who got his who, his who ignored his, his dragon. Yeah, 
in in the first like but seems blocks. to be treating this one better yeah and i i think that's really only because it's the dragon he wanted all along which is like it's like getting it's like getting you know it's like getting a rescue dog when you really want a purebred and then later you get a purebred and you treat that one better just because it's a purebred i i feel like that's how rankin is that rankin. would make sense i hate him so much um <laughs> i have some perhaps good perhaps bad news temeraire is technically a 10 book series why because <laughs> because Naomi Novik published a book called Golden Age and Other Stories, which is a collection of short stories set in the Temeraire universe that was apparently prestige published by somebody. So it's like, you know, 40 bucks. Uh, mm. But it exists. Oh, I think I saw that when I was um, when I was looking like originally before we even started reading the series and I was like, okay, so how many books is this? What's going on here? Um, and it kept coming up, but I was never able to find it for sale for like an affordable price. So yeah. I didn't really look into what it was about. Uh, that's interesting though. I, we will not be reading and covering that if it is $40 cause lol. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe a special episode someday along the line, if I can find a free copy of it somewhere, but um well, but, I mean, I just I, I, I tell you what I'll do because I am likely to get it at some point before April. So I will do my best to get it and read it and then I'll hand it off to you. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Provided I can remember to bring it. But yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully yeah, six months from now or whatever. Yeah. Um, we're talking about Ice and Fire Con, by the way, for random Plug. people listening to this. Plug Ice and Fire. You know, I don't think I've I very rarely mentioned Ice and Fire Con on this webcast podcast um which is weird because it's literally a uh, an entire convention based around a book series song of ice and fire um but uh yeah so i don't know on on that note um last thoughts about crucible of gold i mean i i didn't like i had like mixed feelings about this book it's like i didn't love it I did. I did love the little insight we get into the ink and stuff a lot. Um, oh, and we barely even talked about you know the whole thing with the Tswana and how that all ended because like Napoleon clearly brought all of these dragons over from Africa so that they wouldn't bug him in Europe, and then he was basically, as far as I could tell, just going to leave them there. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Lawrence, you know, kind of worked out this deal with the portuguese and and of course it's like i said in the summary it's tenuous at best uh you know the dragons who are remaining there are probably going to run into some minor problems but really how how many like the portuguese don't have their own dragons apparently so it's basically like gonna be the dragons remaining with their family members and one of them is lethabo is is the woman's name she was the the missionary's wife and i can't remember for the life of me i can't remember her dragon's name right now i think it starts with a k but uh they're he's a he's a big ass dragon and they're remaining there you know so i i don't i don't foresee that there's going to be that like the portuguese might try to start shit but i don't really see that they're gonna get very far if they don't have their own dragons and so yeah i mean, yeah, I mean some of them are going back to africa and some of them are staying there and it's kind of like that's just how we're leaving things guys have fun yeah I mean, it was the classic enemy of my enemy is my sort of friend deal yeah yeah, yeah. 
um, I mean, I did, I did really love how in the, like, even when Lily and her whole formation showed up, they're like, yeah, lol, we're not fighting those, those dragons. Like, no, this isn't happening. Like Temer doesn't want to fight them. They're not doing anything wrong. These, these assholes just need to suck it up and like, stop being slavers. And... Well, I mean, I mean, that's the other interesting thing that Temer has basically created. You know, they're no longer willing to follow orders blindly. Mm-hmm. That's and that's a big change, at least f- that they have not dealt with the consequences of, and may never. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I will say that there is definitely some stuff that gets explored in book nine. Um around that idea but i am not going to spoil it well yeah i i think we kind of figured that because um i'm blanking on the name so i'm picking it up right now the name of book nine is revenge of of the dragons it's it's league of dragons but the way i've seen enough about it to know that there's a lot of there must be stuff about america in it so i and and based on the time frame and everything slavery is still a big thing in america uh at least in real life. So I, I, I figured there would be, you know, some more expo- exploration of that aspect of things. Um, but I think we'll, we'll, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, I wasn't like mad about the, the kind of lack of explanation of more than two thirds of this book took place outside of what was actually like they were all trying to get to you know brazil right the, the whole thing was we gotta get to brazil and help the portuguese our allies and then they get to their they get to brazil and they don't help the portuguese really <laughs> and then at the end they're leaving to go to you know china again and they're leaving it in this you know we're sending some dragons and, and people back to africa and we're keeping some dragons and people here and this tenuous, you know, alliance, I don't even know if that's the right word. Agreement is probably a better word um, with the Portuguese. So, but the thing is, like, I don't think we're going to ever see what happens there again. Um, I, I suppose there's a chance, but like, it, 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 this book felt like a, here's what's happening in South America. Bye now. Bye forever. Sort of thing, um, and especially with there only being two books left, I'm I'm very like okay. So well, I mean, I, I mean, it, it was a, it was a lot I of. Assume, I assume the deal between Napoleon and the Incas is gonna something's gonna come of that. Yeah, I just but also like I think it was a lot of pomp and circumstance with very little payoff. Um, that said, again, it wasn't the worst book of the series. I'm still putting Black Powder War up there for that one. Uh, at least in my, at least in my uh, opinion, but um, I don't know anything, anything else that we want to say? Cause we barely, I feel bad now that we barely even talked about the Swana and everything, but they're, it, they really are an end note to this book is what it felt like. So at the same time, it's like, I feel bad, but also I don't. <laughs> yeah. I have nothing else to add. I don't think. Yeah. I, I am likewise done. I'm talked out. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, um, poor Lawrence, who had found himself content to forget the world and to be forgotten by it 
is just back in the meat of things. And there's surely going to be more as after, you know, the end of this book, they're on their way back to China. So uh, once again, I'm Tara. I'm here with my fellow host, Jonathan, and special guest, Seth. Thank you again for joining us, Seth. Very welcome. Um, and thank you for joining us for Sagas and Sass. And we'll see you in two weeks when we will talk about book eight of the Temeraire series, which is called Blood of Tyrants. And I have a lot of things to say about this book that aren't positive. So you're going to have a lot of fun listening to me rant. I sort of liked it. <laughs> so, well, that's interesting to know. All right. All right. Well, have a good night, everyone. Bye. Right, bye. bye. Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.